powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Tuesday. What you guys didn't hear during the snapshot, especially if you're listening to the podcast, which doesn't include it, is um, one Michael Bumpus celebrating that Joel Embiid, comma, innocent, comma, won't be earning postseason. No, 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 no. I'm not celebrating that he's not getting it. I'm celebrating that you have to play in 65 games. That's fair. 78% of the time you have to show up to work. Unfortunate for Joel because he's balling. He's yeah. unguardable. He can bring the ball up the court, shoot the mid-range, back you down into the paint, do all of that. But you must show up to work to be rewarded. When's the last time you watch significantly more NBA than I do? When's the last time someone got MVP or some kind of postseason award where you were like, Pfft reputation alone. This guy did not play nearly enough to truly earn that. Uh, probably Kawhi Leonard because okay. he, he's hurt every single year, but everyone respects his game and, and know what he's like when he is healthy. So he gets recognized. And sometimes I look at him and go, man, I don't know if you deserve that. Fair. One. Physically you deserve it because you're play, but uh, you got to show up to work. So I'm, yeah. I sound like a hater. Maybe this is uh, again, me getting old 38 now guys. Um, and I look at it, I go, man, you got to show up. So, yeah, show up to work and uh, you get rewarded. You know what? Initially, I thought, obviously, uh, you're a Lakers fan, and I know that the conferences didn't make sense. But in my mind, I was like, well, maybe there's like a <laughs> few that I don't understand uh, between the 76ers. Maybe I just don't see it. But that does make sense. I completely I co-sign that argument 100%. Yeah, no, you no need beef to actually show up. Yeah, yeah, you can't. No beef. You don't get an A for the class when you only showed up, you know, less than half the time. Exactly. Uh, even if you... Even if you passed all the tests when you were there. It's just not how it works. Hey, you need participation points. Thank you. It matters. Um, also, speaking of disrespect, um, this isn't even what we're going to talk about right now, but it is a conversation that we're going to have coming up at 11 when NFL Network analyst and NFL on CBS sports analyst Charles Davis joins us to talk about the Senior Bowl. Um, I am issuing a call for a retraction and an apology. Really? On behalf of the Senior Bowl. Because I learned today that one Michael Bumpus uh, led the conference in reception. Didn't lead it. I, I was top three at the time. Wait, I this number's getting got lower hurt. and lower. You this missed me when I lower. said I got hurt. Okay. You just ignored that. But I was I was leading the country for a long time. Okay. And I got banged up. Michael Bumpus was leading the country for a minute in receptions, and then he got hurt, and then you finished second or third. Yeah. And you did not get an invite to the senior bowl? I didn't. Meanwhile, um, my guy McConkie, who's a baller, uh-huh. Georgia receiver, mm-hmm. 40 receptions, and he's at the Senior Bowl. That's, Your boy I'm, had like 70-plus. That's a little sus. And I ain't get invited, a but it's all more good. More than a little sus. I'm not a hater. I'm not a hater. I'll be a hater on your behalf, and um, I assume representatives of the Senior Bowl uh, are listening right now. I'm going <laughs> to call for them to not only issue an apology years later, but mm. to send you an invite to the 2025 Senior Bowl. And I will not accept. Why? But I appreciate that. Bump, if you got an invite to the Senior Bowl. To play in, in the Senior Bowl? Why not? Nah. What if it was just to go do skills? What if it was just to go for the experience? My knees don't work the same. I think that a thirty soon to be in a year from now, 39-year-old Michael Bumpus would have a great time. Here's why I shouldn't go. I was sitting down, taking notes last night, getting ready for the show. Um, If you don't know, I got a new puppy. Her name is Callie. She's a mini doodle. And she's sitting next to me and had to lift up my legs so I wouldn't crush her while I was getting up. Almost pulled something in my thigh. No joke. I'm like, oh, oh. 
So that right there, my body's like, don't you even think about doing anything explosive anymore, okay? Just I don't chill. know. I kind of like, what's the number one rule of the show, Curtis? Do it for the clout. Do Bump. it for the clout. If you get invited to the Senior Bowl, you have to do it for the clout. <sighs> we will send someone to just go film you the entire time that you're there. I'll press pass it. For sure. Oh, it'll be so fun. I'll, I'll do the stretch lines. How's that? Okay, that's Yeah, fine. you finished uh, third in the Pac-12 in receptions yeah. in 07 behind go. Lavelle Hawkins. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he ever did anything in the he league. He went to the league, played for Tennessee for yeah. a little bit. And then uh, Mike Thomas of Arizona, bear Who? down. I think, he, I think he played in the league, too, for a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he played a little Just bit. Just being a hater. <laughs> hey, but you know who you did beat? Who's that? Deshaun Jackson. I mean, exactly. you had five That's more receptions than Deshaun Jackson. Who else is on that list? Uh, Brandon Gibson. Okay. Legend. Wazoo legend. Uh, Fred Davis, who I think became a tight end tight in the end. NFL. SC, right? Yeah. Yep. And then uh, Jason Williams of Oregon. That was my that was my teammate in high school. Okay. Yeah. All I know is that it's canon that Bump is better than Deshaun Jackson. <laughs> and true. I don't make the rule. That's what the check, numbers say. Check the stats. Hey. Hey. Numbers oh, never man. lie. Yeah, men lie. Women lie. Numbers never lie. Stats don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the actual conversation we're going to have today is uh, one that stems uh, from, obviously, the team's the Seahawks' decision to hire Mike McDonald. Raise your hand if you were actually surprised the Seahawks hired Mike McDonald. I if you were, I, I was surprised. If you were to ask me. Really? Yes. And this is why. If you were to ask me uh, when they fired Pete Carroll, who they probably would hire, I would say... Uh, something that um, is least exciting, but everyone's talking about, meaning Dan Quinn. Mm -hmm. And I also would never guess that the Seattle Seahawks would do what every single like NFL analytics person wanted them to do. Every single young voice around the league, every single national voice wanted them to do, which was to hire Mike McDonald. It's just not, I'm so used to covering this team that does not listen to what other people want it to do. And that's fine. Like Mm -hmm. in many ways it's worked out for them. But for that reason, to be honest, I didn't expect them to hire Mike McDonald. I knew he was in the running. I felt like going into the situation, Dan Quinn had, um, he was the favorite, right? He was the betting favorite to get this job because of familiarity and his relationship with Schneider. But I really felt that Schneider understood that there needs to be something fresh here. Not saying that Dan wouldn't bring something fresh, but there needs to be part of the unknown. Part of Schneider's job is to um, create a buzz as well Mm -hmm. in this process. Hopefully he only has to do this once for another six or seven years, right? Hopefully this Mike McDonald hire works out, which I believe is going to work out, and he doesn't have to do this. But I think that he understood that here's an opportunity to get the 12s back on board. I don't think the 12s ever left. I think um, they're one of the best fan bases in the country. They will Mm -hmm. always support. Now, they're going to talk their stuff, Mm -hmm. but they're going to support you at the same time. But I think that Schneider and Jody Allen understood, like, look, we can reset this whole thing and bring new life to this organization and grab some fans that you normally don't have and start from ground up um, when it comes to the coaching staff. So um, I think when you look at it as a business – and you look at it as an opportunity to uh, to start this thing all over. Um, Mike McDonald was the hire, and I felt that John understood that. If Dan Quinn were to be hired, then I would have felt like Jody was like, no, let's go with the homie. We yeah. know Dan. Let's make sure he's good to go. Well, and the reason that I even bring it up in the first place is when they hired Mike McDonald, I felt like, do I fully know what a Seahawks team with only John Schneider in charge looks like? I don't think I do. And John Schneider kind of bristled uh, at that implication during his press conference. I, I don't feel like it's like I haven't been running the organization. I understand the question, but I don't. I feel like we've been 
I don't feel like there's been necessarily just one person running the organization. Now, John's had to make some really, really important decisions within this organization, and and he has uh, deservedly gotten a lot of good credit for good things that they've done, so I can understand why he'd be like, excuse me, um, I have been leading this organization. I know that you think Pete's gone, and now what's John going to do, and, you know, what's this look like, but I've been here. And I I agree with him, and I know why he got a little prickly about that. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, there is a genuine curiosity about what John Schneider's reign is like without Pete Carroll, because while John might like it or not, Pete was hugely influential and had a ton of power. I think that John Schneider might be uh, even bolder than we think. I mean, I think of some of the things that were going on. I think that if Pete Carroll were not here, Russell Wilson would have been traded prior to the year that he was. I agree. I think that if Pete Carroll were not here, a lot of things probably yeah. would have happened differently. Or if Pete Carroll didn't hold the position that he held other mm-hmm. than head coach, right? He hired Schneider. They worked hand in hand. If Pete Carroll were just a head coach who was just um, responsible for hiring, uh, not hiring, but actually influencing the coaching staff mm-hmm. and getting the game plan together, then I think that change, changes would have happened. So – Who is this or what is this organization without Pete Carroll? I think that uh, it allows for this situation to go many directions, to go in different directions, to hire young. You've done that to um, get a a voice you've never heard before. We're going to get about 28 of those things in the in in VMAC right now to maybe roll the dice on a couple players that you normally wouldn't or just go for the for sure thing. Because Pete Carroll also was great at finding those diamonds in the rough, finding guys that just fit what he wants to do and not necessarily what everyone else uh, uh, wants him to do or or doesn't have the same prestige when it goes across the league. Pete looks at a guy and says, he's a Seattle type of guy, fits our defense, fits our offense, let's go get him. And let's see what happens. So with change at the uh, leadership position, I feel like you will see some moves being made that you normally didn't see in 14 years. And you might see some personalities on the field that you normally didn't see for the past 14 years. I am most curious about quarterback outside of obviously wondering what John would do at head coach, which is hire Mac McDonald, which is go with the youngest coach in the league. I'm very curious about quarterback because Pete was deeply loyal to Russell Wilson and really valued Russell Wilson. And I think that John Schneider, I mean, he drafted Russell Wilson. Like, he clearly valued him. You know, he gave him an extension and then gave him another. Like, it's not like he didn't. But I I don't know that that deep loyalty was there because the relationship between a player and a GM is different by nature than between a player and a coach. You know what I mean? The GM has to at all times think about the financial implications, think about the long-term health of the organization, and think about the uh, literal health of the player that he's paying. Those are things that a head coach doesn't always have to think of. A head coach just thinks about chemistry, just thinks about winning this year. And so I would wager that John Schneider has always wanted to draft another quarterback, has always wanted to explore other options. He went to go watch Josh Allen's pro day, uh, to watch uh, Mahomes. Uh, he, you know, We heard rumors of him wanting to trade uh, Russell Wilson to the Browns. All rumors, well, except he really did go to those pro days. But otherwise, right. all rumors. But it makes me wonder if at 16 they might take a quarterback. Yeah, it makes you um you make some good points um mentioning what John Schneider did that made you believe they could go a different direction, but what ultimately happened was them not going that direction when it comes to quarterback. Maybe Schneider saw something in Russell Wilson earlier that said, Look, 
the decline is going to happen. Let's get prepared for it. And Peter's like, no, we have our guy. Let's cross that bridge when we get there. So we talk about what this organization is going to look like with John kind of leading the charge and having Mike McDonald's help. Again, I think it's going to allow for more not more creativity, but a different type of creativity mm-hmm. when it comes to evaluating players, getting coaches on board, and, and what this team is going to be in the future. I think this is John's time to shine. I think that he's uh, been waiting for this moment, and he's prepared for this moment. You don't hold down a spot for 14 years and learn absolutely nothing. You don't you don't ignore your failures and just prop up your success. You you have to admire your success. You should because this, uh, this is a tough organization or a tough institution uh, to be in. Uh, but you learn from those failures. So that's what, what gets me excited is because this is a new role for John, but not really, right? You look at the the title, our general manager of the Seahawks, and you think, nah, it's the same thing. Yeah, the title is the same, but the responsibilities are different because now he is the mentor. He is the guy kind of standing there with Mike McDonald and saying, what are your thoughts? I'm going to nudge you in this direction. Mm-hmm. Whereas it was he's sitting there with Pete Carroll and saying, all right, we got to meet in the middle somewhere because we might not agree on some things, but this is a partnership. So uh, I'm excited for John, man. I I think that um, he'll roll some dice or roll the dice on a couple of players and and coaches or whatnot. And, um, and Mike McDonald will, will be there to support and make the best of the situation. But this is John's time to shine and I'm excited for him. All right. Washington's biggest night out in sports is coming up February 15th. It's the 89th annual sports star of the year awards crowning our state's biggest stars and stories of 2023. You can find Find tickets and info at seattlesports.com slash events. Let's get to Headline Rewrites. Headline Rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacy. Headline number one in his invite-only press conference, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell says the level of scrutiny towards officials has never been higher than it is right now. What's the real headline? He added, and that's why I'll never answer a single question about it. <laughs> it's it, it, Complaining about scrutiny uh, during an invite-only press conference very intentionally staged on a Monday when a smaller portion of mm-hmm. NFL press is going to be at the Super Bowl is very interesting. Yeah, um, and he was still pressed. There were some questions that he were he was asked, yeah. uh, same questions that Trotter asked a couple years ago that got him kicked out of that whole situation. Uh, someone stepped up and asked him the same questions, and he had a response for it. Uh, but according to the refs, here, here's the thing about referees, man. They do have a tough job. Let's not ignore the job that these referees have. But they do have about 20 cameras in the stadium, right? Use all of your resources. I think that's the issue with these refs is that you feel like there should be a chip in the ball. Mm-hmm. Why do we have a chain game on the sideline with all the technology that we have? First down should be easy. It should be so easy stupid. to mark the first down. You got a white hat on the field. Get a white hat in the booth as well. They mess up a call. You got all these angles. Have referees that are in the booth that say, hey, we got this one wrong. Let's get it right. The reason why these refs get all this scrutiny is because, one, it's, it's a hard job to do. But, two, I think people feel like they're not using all of their resources. The game has advanced so much in other areas, but in officiating and chain gain and spotting the ball and little stuff like that, it is so old school, man. Mm -hmm. We are still relying on a referee, right, to look at where this young man falls on the ground and run towards that spot and put his foot down. You know how many times I see these referees 
I'm going left. I'm weaving right. I'm <laughs> going left. It. Where is I he going to stop? I'm like, come on now. We can get better at this. So big ups to the referees. They got a tough job, but the NFL is setting them up by not supporting them correctly. Tell me what you think about this. Uh, another thing that Roger Goodell was really pressed on was streaming services. So this is from two separate reporters, these questions. Uh, first, someone asked him about the playoff game that was exclusively on Peacock between the Miami Dolphins and Kansas City Chiefs. And Roger Goodell said, quote, we have to fish where the fish are, implying that, look, streaming is what it is. It's a growing industry, and we want to lean into that. He was asked about the possibility of a streaming-only Super Bowl in the future. He said, certainly not in my lifetime. So don't worry about that. But then he was asked by another reporter, how much money is too much money for the NFL to try to get out of the little man? Meaning like, hey, you're really squeezing as much as you can out of these streaming providers. And that's one more subscription that people have to sign up for, whether it's Amazon Prime. Whether or uh, Prime Video, whether it's Peacock, whether it's Apple TV, like whatever it is, like it's it, it digs into the pockets of listeners. I use streaming only like I don't have cable. I only me use streaming. Either. So for me and for the majority of my friends, I'm like, eh, whatever. But I understand the frustration of people who don't have those services who go, wait a minute. I already pay a bajillion dollars for cable. Why can't I turn on my TV and watch this game? Yeah, that's the unfortunate part is that. um the, uh, the TV world is going in a different direction, and it's hard to get people um, 100% on board yeah. with what's happening. And there should be a service for those people, right? If you are the NFL and you are really all about the fans who support this league, who show up every single Sunday, who turn on their televisions, you have to make a way for everybody to watch, right? Now, eventually, I think cable is going to be gone and it's going to shift towards uh, streaming. But until that's 100%, you got to find ways to cater to uh, the older, older folks who don't want to make that switch. Even the younger ones who don't want to make that switch. Right. Just cater to your fans. They are the league. Headline rewrites. A day after complaining about their practice field conditions at UNLV, the 49ers said they'll just deal with it for the rest of the week. What's the real headline? Well, bad field conditions are something a team that plays at Levi Stadium should be used to by now. That stadium real, field is horrible. Um, it also reminded me, Bump, of uh, something that you and Curtis have probably experienced many times, which is uh, someone bringing up an issue and going, it's fine. It's fine. I'll just deal with it yeah, for the cool. rest of the week. It's cool. No, it's fine. I'm, I'm not bothered. No, well, it's fine. It's, it's clearly bothering you. No. Why'd you bring it up? No, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. That's what the 49ers did. The 49ers brought up this field's really a problem. And the NFL was like, okay, you want to relocate to the Raiders? You want us to resaw the field? No, it's fine. It's fine. To uh, Kyle Shanahan's credit, he wasn't tripping. <laughs> he wasn't. He goes, look, it's getting better and better every day. Let's let's just go get it. I think it was more upstairs, folks. You know, we got to remember, John Lynch is in control of this thing, and he walks the field. He knows what it's supposed to feel like, and maybe he was concerned. Everything I got from Kyle Shanahan was just, let's line up and practice. Let's not worry about these little things. And the reason why I like that approach is, don't give your players any type of excuse mentally. Right, You line up and yeah. you go. I'm sure, I don't know if Kyle Shanahan played high school. I'm sure, well, he probably did play some high school ball. Man, we used to play on muddy fields. Uh, man, there's no, by week seven, it's just dirt now. He understands that, look, you can get things done. This is a Super Bowl. You want to be safe. But the bigger deal you make of that playing surface, the more excuses yep. you give your players mentally. And I, I'm all here for that. Just forget it. Let's line up. Let's go play. They're not going to go 100% all week in practice anyway. It's going to be more of a walkthrough, maybe 75% yeah. type of tempo. Headline rewrites. The NFL announced yesterday that the Eagles will start their season with a game in Sao Paulo, Brazil next year. What's the real headline? Nothing like an inter international flight with people who hate each other. 
It wasn't our original headline rewrite, but that was not Cleaned safe. it up. It was not appropriate for mm-hmm, air. Mm-hmm. It was a good one, though. I'm uh I'm just mad because um I'm jealous actually because our guy Nasser Chobi does the uh producing for the pre halftime and post game. He goes, Hey guys, we don't know if this is gonna happen, but just be ready because we could be going to Brazil. And I go, Brazil, let's get you it. Got yeah. your hopes up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not going to Brazil, guys. I know. Not Obviously, going. Eagles not on Seattle's schedule. Now, Curtis, you did say there is one potential international matchup. Uh, yes, international matchup the Seahawks could have. That yeah, was. Yeah, the Seahawks play a road game against the Bears this year, and the Bears are one of the designated home teams in London, foggy old London town. So I, I don't know if it's gonna be as or so soon after the Munich game that Seattle would travel again to Europe, but it the possibility exists. Last year I nailed that they had uh, an international game and a Thanksgiving game, so. Your boys just got those schedule scoops. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, we did try to predict that the Seahawks would open up on the road because of the Beyonce concert, but then we were wrong. Yeah, about we were wrong one. about that. So but I don't, that was you know, good 66% intel is, That's not uh, bad. yeah. You'd be in the Hall of Fame if, if your it's batting than, average was 600. It's better than 54%. Oh, <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> oh, sorry to everyone. If the Seahawks keep Geno Smith, what should they do with that backup quarterback job? Draft someone at 16 and let them learn and develop behind Geno? Maybe go with Drew Locke? That's coming up at 1045, because before we get to that, we got to talk about the rumors that Ryan Grubb is a candidate for Seahawks OC. Seattle Times columnist Mike Varell joins us next. Bumpin' Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. All right, talking Huskies, Jed Fish, Ryan Grubb with Seattle Times columnist Mike Varell. He joins us now on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Mike, how's it going? Good, how are you guys? Uh, we're great. I'm going to start with the rumors that Ryan Grubb is in consideration for Seattle's OC job. First of all, have you heard anything about this? And secondly, uh, do you think that, what do you think that jump from uh, college to the pros would be like for a first time OC? I have heard rumors. Um, Believe it or not, Ryan has not been super responsive in the last four days or so. So uh, (laughs) I don't know why that would be or not be. Uh, but obviously he also is, is not a Washington anymore. So he's not, you know, required to, to return my texts or calls. But um, in terms of the transition, you know, I think it's probably easier than it has been in the past. When you just think about the way that the styles have meshed from college to the NFL. And I think there was, you know, 10, 20 years ago, there was much more of a divide between what was pro style and, you know, when college spreads and speed uh, spreads and everything was running wild and, you know, option offenses and different styles. I think, you know, talking to Ryan uh, in the past, just right before the, the CFP and right before they played Texas, he kind of described their offense as got kind of being a pro-style spread. And I'm not sure how you, exactly you would define that, but I do think that, you know, offenses are moving that direction more. And there, there's more of a blurred line between college and the pros in general. So I do think that what he does, the way that he schemes guys open, both in the run game, the pass game, is very uh, transferable. And you look at, a guy like Michael Penix Jr., and I think that what has made him really attractive to you know teams, and what will continue to make him attractive, was the way that he was able to process defenses and, and be able to you know snuff out blitzes and handle protections, and that's everything that he's given to do as part of his responsibilities with this offense, where it's not an air raid, it's not something so simple where he knows where he's going and he doesn't have to worry about blitz pickups and all those kind of things. So I do think that Grubb runs an offense that that is transferable to the NFL, but you know we might have to see 
just how transferable that is soon enough. Yeah, um, I think that's a great point, Mike. I mean, you look at just the game today. I always go back to um, when the Wildcat was trying to be introduced to the NFL, worked for like a half a season, and then teams kind of figured it out. But when it comes to spreading the field out, I mean, I think it's here to stay just, the way, just because of the, the way the game is played. Um, because the game is played that way, do you think it gives guys like Michael Penix an advantage? Because I think teams look at him and say, all right, I mean, you throw the ball across the yard, he can make those type of throws. Is there any advantage that Penix does have against these quarterbacks who are going to be drafted ahead of him? Yeah, I think no question. I think it's kind of a sink or swim mentality, or it has been you know, at Washington. Obviously, Penix swam, but there was a ton on his plate where he already understood that offense, which was a massive thing, you know, coming over from Indiana to Washington. It's not, not often that you transfer and step into exactly the same offense, essentially, as what you left. But, I mean, they put so much on his plate in terms of making every throw in the book and being able to, you know, move out of a play that, that wasn't going to work and being able to snuff out a blitz and move protections around. And, you know, UW, of course, was touted as having one of the best offensive lines in college football the last two years. They won the Joe Moore Award last year, and that is a credit to their offensive line, but it's also a credit to him because he barely ever got hit because he knew exactly what was coming the vast majority of the time because he just understood that offense so well, understood defenses so well, what they were trying to do to him. Um, and I think that's a credit to him. It's a credit to the line, but it's also a credit to the system and, and to the amount of responsibility that, that Grubb and others entrusted him with. So, you know, I do think it's an offense that on, on a college level specifically throws a lot on your plate. But if you can kind of digest that, then you can see, you know, what you're capable of and what Washington did the last two seasons. What's that relationship like between Grubb and Michael Penix? And could you see a world where if Grubb is OC for the Seahawks, there's temptation there to draft Penix? Yeah, I mean, they were definitely very close. It was a situation where, you know, Michael Penix chose to come to Washington for Kalen DeBoer because that was a relationship that he had having DeBoer as his offensive coordinator at Indiana in 2019. But when he got here, it was kind of a leap of faith to say, okay, here's your guy. This is Ryan Grubb. You don't know him, but kind of vouching for him. And, and you know, that developed instantly in terms of, you know, their bond, their familiarity, the ability, you know, there was a lot of conversations with the media talking to Grubb about, okay, what did Mike say on the phone after a mistake, after an interception, this or that? I think that they just had an understanding with each other about accountability and moving on, you know, understanding that you're going to make mistakes and in, in what's the next play. And I think that, you know, they were able to kind of have tough love with each other and digest that and move forward. And they had that kind of a bond and that kind of trust. And, and of course, when Penix was at the Heisman ceremony, there was two coaches that went, you know, a lot of times it's the head coach and DeBoer was there, but Ryan Grubb was sitting right next to him. So I think that says a lot about their bond. And, and if Ryan Grubb were to be the Seahawks OC, I do think it'd be extremely tempting because, you know, what, what we just said, you know, why it works so well with Penix, moving from Indiana to Washington was because he understood that system and he played so well and he fit so well in that offense. Uh, I think it would be very tempting uh, to want to take a guy who you know can operate that offense because he's done it you know, at an elite level the last couple of seasons. What's the um, appeal to the NFL over being the OC at the University of Alabama? I think that obviously you have an opportunity to win right now in Alabama. Is it simply just taking the next step to the highest level, or do you think there's something else there that uh, that is grabbing Grubb's attention and saying, you know, let me explore these possibilities in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, you, you guys know we're seeing a ton of this where there's a big problem in college football right now in terms of the, the college football calendar, the fact that you just don't really have a minute to, to breathe. The way that recruiting has evolved, with NIL, the transfer portal, you're constantly recruiting. You're recruiting your own players not to leave. You're recruiting other players to come, transfers, freshmen. You're on the road. 
you're evaluating. There's so much more that goes on beyond football, beyond X's and O's, beyond proving that your scheme works. Um, and I think it's tempting. You're seeing guys, you're seeing the head coach halfway of Boston college leave to be a coordinator in the NFL. Uh, and that's happening with multiple guys because I think there is an exhaustion with the schedule in college right now. And for grub, mm-hmm. that's a guy who loves the aspect of the X's and O's. I mean, it's something that, that has really driven him to understand how he can dissect defenses and how he can win that way. And I do think it's tempting to think, okay, can I do this at the highest level, but also can I do it in a, in a setting where I'm only asked to focus on the game, to focus on development, to focus on X's and O's. I don't have to recruit a single player. My GM is going to decide who's on my team and I will take them and try to win with them. And I think that is very, very compelling. And you're, that's why you're seeing a lot of coaches. Um, some take what you would think are demotions to go from college to the NFL right now. And I think for, for Grubb, it wouldn't be a demotion. It would be an opportunity to say, can, you know, can, I, can this system work on the highest level of football? And I, I do think that, that that'd be pretty intriguing for a guy like him. Jed Fish already filling out his staff for the Huskies. Uh, what do you make of the move to bring in not just Steve Bilicek, but also former Patriots assistant Vinny Sinceri? Yeah, I think uh, it makes sense. With when you talk to Jed Fish, we talked to him. You know, when he was introduced, a guy who's had a ton of NFL experience, he said, "You know, what are we selling? We're selling the fact that we've been in NFL locker rooms, we've been in meeting rooms, we've been in draft rooms. We understand what the NFL is looking for. We understand what that what that development looks like. I think they're going to try to run, you know, kind of a pseudo NFL operation at Washington. You know, yesterday, you know, their official account tweeted the 33rd NFL team." with an eyeball emoji, I think teasing out the Steve Belichick edition, but that's what they want to be. And that's what they want to sell. So to bring in guys who have NFL experience, who can tell kids what they need to do to get there. Um, I don't know, you know, how long this, this crew is going to last here. I think, you know, when you get guys in coming from the NFL to college, it's that question of what I just said, you know, how well do they recruit? How much do they want to recruit? How willing are they to give their life to something like this where you have very few days off, very few moments to breathe? But but in the time that they are here, I do think that the strategy is we are going to be a professional operation, and that's what we're selling to kids. So, so it makes sense from that regard. How short is the leash on Jed Fish? I know he signed a, a nice deal. What is it, a five-year deal, I believe it was? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But, uh, I mean, you know, you're coming off a national championship appearance. You won the Pac-12 title. The year before, you're extremely competitive. It looks good on paper, but um, how many years do you think realistically he has to prove to the alum and everyone else involved in decision-making that uh, he's the guy? I think he's been promised that he has some time, and I, and I think that that's indicative in the way that he's going about everything that he's done since he's been there because this, you know, it has to be made clear that this is not the national championship team that, he is, that he's inheriting. They've lost so much to the NFL. They've had 27 guys going to the transfer portal Granted, not all of them have left. I think they've had nine to this point come back to Washington, and there are some others that are uncommitted. But it is a completely different team. It's going to be a completely different team. I, you know, I kind of compare it to you know Dion going to Colorado last year, and he voluntarily completely changed up his team and sort of added a whole new roster from the portal. UW doesn't have to do it to that degree, but they're going to have to add a, a bunch of guys and have a completely different face to their team sort of involuntarily. And I, I think when you talk to him, he's talking a ton about development and wanting to get back to signing a full high school class where a lot of people are looking for short fixes, you know, in the portal, he wants to develop high school guys. And that's what he did successfully at Arizona. You know, he, had, he took one high school class. Um, and a couple of years later, there was Noah Fafita and there was Tedaro and McMillan and, and they built a 10 win uh, team. 
So I think to be able to do that, though, you need at least three, three years, probably two, three years. It was year three in Arizona that they really took off. Um, so there isn't that, you know, instant, that instant win mentality. Of course, they want to win and they want to win right away. And they're going to have eyeballs on them to win right away in the Big Ten. But I do think that he's geared towards wanting to build this thing and build a foundation and build it over the course of two, three, four years. You know, will that be appealing to their athletic director, their president, all their administration two years from now if they're not winning? You know, we'll see. But I think for the time being, um, he's going in with the understanding that he's going to have that kind of a leash. He is Seattle Times columnist Mike Varell, kind enough to join us to talk Huskies on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mike. You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. The Seahawks have a decision to make at quarterback, and there are even more options than you think. We'll explore one of those next. Bump and Stacy, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios on Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Rost. Lot of different options at quarterback for the Seahawks, but we're going to explore just one of them right now, and that's this. If the Seahawks keep Geno Smith, what should they do with the backup quarterback job? Do you draft someone at 16, let them learn behind Geno? Do you re-sign Drew? What, what what do you do? Do you sign a free agent? First off, you let Drew spread his wings and fly. Mm. You go find a place out there, Drew, in the NFL, because the two games that he did play, he showed the NFL some things. He can still play in this league. I'm trying to find a team just off the top of the dome that could use Drew services. Maybe the Washington Commanders, they draft their guy. Drew fills a void there for a little bit. Look at the New Orleans Saints. You got Winston over there in Carr. I don't know. Mm -hmm. The Minnesota Vikings, are they going to sign Kirk Cousins? Um, So there's opportunity out there. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, um, thanks for that filler, Stace. Appreciate you. Got it, you. Buddy. Um, <laughs> um, what should they do? This this is a, a tough question to answer because you could keep Geno and still plan for the future, but do you plan at sixteen or do you plan somewhere else down the line? I think that if you keep Geno Smith, he'll be your guy for the next couple of years. There's no rush. Don't you don't have to go quarterback at number sixteen unless it's JJ McCarthy. At this point, it's JJ or nothing at sixteen when it comes to drafting the quarterback because Mike McDonald knows the most about him. Yeah. Now this is speculation. This is what I would do, right? I'm obviously I'm in no position of power, but I look at what Geno's brought to the table and I go, he'll hold you down for a few years, but you need somebody to back him up. Um, if you don't go JJ McCarthy, you go with the best offensive player. Then later on in the in the draft, then I think you go there. Now, if you don't resign Gino by February 16th. Now you have to go quarterback at 16. There's no, unless you want to sign yeah. like Kirk Cousins for a couple of years and see what he does there. Um, He's a name that's going to be out there on the market. Um, He'll probably be the hottest free agent quarterback in the game at that point. Then you bring him in and, and see what happens there. But um, this is such a big decision because it tells you the the direction of this, this team, this organization and, and what they see is necessary and what they see um, in the future for this team. So I look at the Geno and I go, it's such a confusing situation, man. He's good enough to be your guy. He's old enough to be in transition. Um, and you have a direct connection to one of the bigger names when it comes to the quarterback position in JJ. So me personally, though, I'm keeping Geno 
Um, drafting a quarterback later, I'm going with uh, with Trotter, the linebacker out of uh, Clemson, I believe. Yeah, you're all your in, all yeah, in on a I linebacker. Like I'm I'm in on a defensive player, no matter what. With your first round pick, I just think your defense needs so much help. But it is an interesting uh, thing to consider, not just because of Mike McDonald's ties to Michigan, but because of what having Geno allows you and affords you the ability to do, which is to let someone uh, play behind a starter as opposed to be thrown into the ring. If you uh, feel like you need a quarterback who's going to be able to start right away. Um, you may go for someone who you feel is more pro ready as opposed to someone who's more of a project, right? Uh, Chris and Puyallup from the two, five, three picking a quarterback at 16 has nothing to do with Geno Smith. Either you believe your franchise quarterback is there or he's not. Stop it. You stop it, Chris. Uh, but it actually <laughs> is important. I, I do. I disagree. I think it is important because if you don't have your starter, you have to feel confident that this guy can start for you. Uh, if you bring back Gino, it gives you the flexibility to be able to let your young guy kind of learn behind him and sit for a minute. And what's the organization that John Schneider came from before Seattle? Green Bay, where they did that for their last two starters, right? Big believers in letting your young guy come in and kind of sit for a minute and not be thrown into the fire right away. I think that I wonder if that's something John Schneider would be very interested in doing. That's how I approach it. That's how I would, man. I'm uh, I'm so cautious when it comes to stuff like that you don't want to go to vegas with me i'm not going to gamble big i'm not going to put all my money on black or red i'm going to sit there i'm going to gamble the minimum get these free drinks and just try to break even that's just how i approach this thing and i think that when you're in this situation with gino i think you can just break even and breaking even to me would be signing gino getting a quarterback later because you have enough around them to get things going now you have to think about the future of this team and how much longer you think that you're going to ride with Gino, right? And if you feel like Gino is is capped off when it comes to his potential, he's shown you everything. It doesn't get too much better than this. Then I understand the uh, the potential to draft somebody because you want to have that Green Bay overlap. You want to have the guy who's leading the charge, but the guy waiting in the wings to take this thing over and allow him to develop and grow. It might not even be JJ. What if something happens in this draft to where a guy like uh, like uh, was a Drake from uh, North Carolina uh, falls in mm-hmm. the draft? Mm-hmm. Now, the draft is just a domino effect. That's all it is. Yeah. You're waiting to see what happens in front of you, and your strategy might change pick by pick according to who's, who's, uh, who's there and who's not there. Who's to say J.J. McCarthy doesn't get drafted early, and now you're looking at a situation and saying, okay, do we still are we still interested in the quarterback position because JJ's gone? JJ could be taken off the board, and now you're thinking now the decision is made for you, and you have to go defense. That's one thing I love about fantasy drafts is sometimes I love when the when the decision is made for me. I'm like, I got two guys. Do I go here? Do I go there? And the pick in front of me takes one of the guys. I go perfect. All right, now now I don't <laughs> I have to let make God. right. <laughs> let go and let God. And that could happen in this draft right here. So um. As much as we break down these situations and we have these ideas of who you want, Trotter could be gone. Who knows? JJ could be gone. You got to wait and see how the cookie crumbles, man. And and that will determine which direction you're going, or at least nudge you in one direction or the mm-hmm. other. Uh, from the 253, why stay with Gino? Just so we can wait and see if Green Bay wins or loses their last game. Just saying, implying that like yeah. if you stay with Gino, you're going to once again be around 500, hoping that you can fall backwards into the playoffs. Again, when I look at the season this year, I see uh, some some regression in, in aspects for Geno Smith. I also see an offensive line that was very banged up and a defense that was god-awful at times. Yeah. So I don't think that 
keeping Geno or drafting a quarterback at 16 makes or breaks your season in quite the same way. I think the most important thing you need to do is fix your defense. And John Schneider knows that, which is why he went with Mike McDonald. Exactly. Why keep Geno? You keep Geno because you're going to get a new offensive coordinator. You keep him because you feel like you're going to be able to support him more with this defense. You keep him because you feel like we're going to coach this offensive lineup maybe at a piece and they'll be able to protect and create these running lanes for him. You keep Geno because of what you can do around him, not because of of him. We I think we know who Geno is. At his best, 30 touchdowns, 10-11 picks, around 4,000 yards. He's going to win you some games late. But what can you do to support him? If you look at this situation and you say, all right, that type of quarterback is in the Super Bowl right now. Mm-hmm. That type of quarterback, when it comes to numbers, right, in, in some metrics, that type of quarterback was in the NFC Conference Championship as well. What can we do to support him? How can we help him so he doesn't have to win these ball games all by himself? You find the run game, you protect him, you play better defense. You keep Geno because you feel like you can get the guys around him to play better football. Fred and Birch Bay keeping Geno assures mediocrity. I mean, all due respect, Fred, regular listener, shout out Fred. I, I don't think that Geno is what made Seattle a mediocre team. No. Seattle was mediocre in so many categories, offensively and defensively, that it is more than one person, far more than one person. Yeah. Um, the second thing is uh, from another 253, with no pick in the second round, it doesn't seem like a guarantee John will trade the pick, or doesn't it seem like a guarantee, excuse me, that John will trade the pick. Now, 253, I think Bump and I overall agree with you. Bump would love to see a linebacker taken um, with that first pick. Both of us, though, know that Seattle doesn't have a round two pick, only one pick on day two overall, and that they'll probably trade back in the first round. We're going to explore those scenarios as we get closer to the draft. So right. don't worry about that. We'll co- we'll cover those bases. Um, but, yeah, it's it's just an option to yeah. be able to keep Geno and and draft someone else there. It's a good option to have. Behind. You're not you're not extremely stressed about the QB spot. There are some concerns, yeah. but you're not stressed. All right. Well, let's hear about some of these quarterbacks. They were all at the Senior Bowl, and NFL Network analyst Charles Davis was there. He joins us next.